0: Well, grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. How many people have heard or, or maybe still hear or say this phrase a lot? You better get your priorities straight. Or maybe it was directed towards someone else. They, so and so, they better get their priorities straight. I feel like the high school age and right after is when I heard this the most. And adults were trying to help teenagers get their priorities straight. I think what it was used for mostly was in preparation for whatever came next, like getting a good job so someone could be successful, or maybe uh, to help them prepare for college coming up if they were still in school. The priorities that needed to be straightened out were things like staying focused on getting good grades in school versus partying or messing around with friends all the time. For athletes, it might have been getting to practice regularly and hitting the gym keeping your physical abilities in front of other things so you could contribute to your sport as much as possible. The priorities people were encouraging others to get straight, mostly, had to do with that next phase of life. For someone working full-time that was already out of college, it might be gearing up to buy a house or start a family. And the warning about these priorities implied that if you did not get your priorities straight, you were not positioning yourself for whatever was, in the best way possible, for whatever was coming up next in life. Not creating good study habits in high school, for example, would make college more challenging. Not thinking about a job until after graduating college might leave you jobless and back in your parents' basement for a while while you're supposed to be on your own. It was easy to identify people that didn't have their priorities straight because people would comment about them and point them out. Boy, Johnny there really needs to get his priorities straight if he wants a good job. No matter what season of life you're in, keeping priorities is difficult. In high school, many of us are exploring newfound social lives with friends. And we're under enormous peer pressure for that social acceptance. Which makes our daily influences more about how our social standing is than thinking about college or working or other things in life. And after high school, when we're out on our own, we're exploring and discovering all kinds of new things about the world. We follow a typical path, then we, we get a full-time job after college, and then hopefully in the study, uh, field of your study, and you're still trying to figure out how to maintain that social life you had before, but while also being a good worker. And then fast forward for some to being a new parent. I'm sure many of you remember that first birthday. I remember thinking, I'm so relieved we were able to keep this kid alive for a year. <laughs> The stakes of keeping priorities, despite the humor, really took on a whole new meaning when you now have other lives depending on you and your priorities. If you screw up, you're not just screwing up your own life, but now someone else's also. Despite these traditional stages I talked about, everyone's walk through life is a little different. I didn't go to traditional college after high school, for example. I went full-time in the job I had through high school part-time. By the time I got around to college, I was taking adult classes at night, which is also about when I started a family. I was a new husband and father, working all day and spending a couple evenings a week away at class. And looking back at how fast that time went and some of the things I missed out on, I'm not sure I had my priorities completely straight. The dictionary defines a priority as something that is more important than other things and that needs to be done or dealt with first or the things that someone cares about and thinks are important. One way to figure out what our current priorities are is to take a look at where you spend most of your time and money. And that will reveal to us where our priorities really are, whether we realize them or not. Thinking back to times in my life where I spent time and money, here were some priorities I had. Trying new restaurants with friends regularly. Traveling for work. Buying new computers so I can enjoy the latest games. Ushering at church regularly. It seems like a fairly normal list of things, but thinking about the definition I read earlier, were those really more important than other things that needed to be done or dealt with first? Priorities aren't really about whether something is good to do or not. It's just about where they fall compared to other things. Here's the same list, but let me read it a different way. Going out to restaurants away from my family instead of being at the dinner table with them. Spending money on restaurants and new computers rather than setting money aside for family vacations. Choosing a job that keeps me away from my kids for a week at a time and missing some important first experiences that I can't ever get back. Showing up to church by obligation once per month to usher rather than investing in my faith walk and being active in my faith community. Now, I'm not saying there was anything wrong with the things that I mentioned before, but in being reflective of my own experiences, I just want to show that everything we do can sometimes be at the expense of something else. Every minute we spend, just like our dollars, is a choice. On those Sundays I showed up to usher because my name was on the schedule... I was choosing to be here at church, but the other Sundays I was choosing to be somewhere else, probably sleeping in. There are a lot of things in life that need to get done, and some of them are urgent, some are important, some are both, and some are neither. I've spent my share of time on things that are not important or urgent. I'm thick-headed and stubborn, and it's difficult for me to be self-aware sometimes and realize when I'm not focused on the right things. At any given moment, I feel at that time like I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. But where this falls apart is when I haven't looked to God for direction, when I've gone off on my own, set my own priorities. It takes a lot of effort to quiet the mind and get myself tuned into God's voice. But that's where the real priorities lie, with our Lord and Savior, who, as we've talked about many times has a plan far greater than anything i could conceive of on my own and what he's made clear through his word is that he is our priority above all other things you know there are some truths of god's words that are difficult for me to wrap my head around just aspects of my faith that i grapple with and our gospel message today is an example of one of those I think it's, it's admirable. We should all put our families ahead of, of a lot of other things. And a lot of people would say our families should come first. And it's our instinct as parents with, with kids to put them above everything else. And that makes it a bit uncomfortable for me to hear Jesus tell us that, as he does in our gospel, he comes before everyone, including our sons and daughters. Or the idea that we should love him more than our earthly mother and father. For me, that's just a challenging thought for uh, for my mind, our Old Testament reading seems a little bit more straightforward for me. Moses lays out what God told him to teach us really clearly. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, he says, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Later, Jesus gives us a priority around this commandment as he answers the challenges of, a, of some Pharisees about what the most important commandment is in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38, where Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He's quoting Deuteronomy here. And then goes on to say, This is the first and greatest commandment. One of our first priorities, spoken directly from God to Moses and on to us, and later repeated by Jesus to us. And God has given us a blueprint for priorities. Back in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus emphasizes this using those more challenging words I mentioned. As he's instructing the 12 apostles, verse 37 really stands out to me. Jesus says, If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. Jesus leaves no gray area about our priority. I think when I first read this, my mind sort of jumped to a rebuttal. How could I not love my father or mother or my son or daughter? But that's not what Jesus is saying here. My reaction was just defensive because I was uncomfortable with this for some reason. I remember being at a wedding quite a few years back of a couple of friends of mine, and their pastor was telling them during the ceremony that as they grew in their faith And expanded their love of God, they would learn how to love one another even more. And it was when I finally put these two thoughts together that I realized God was speaking something reassuring to me through these priority verses, uh, though with a warning as well. The warning, which I think is what this passage is more about, is that when we give ourselves completely to Christ, those around us that have not yet may turn against us and not understand what we're doing. But our priority is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind. And through that love, we'll learn to love those around us as children of God. And if we put our earthly relationships above our heavenly relationship, the cost is too great and terrible to imagine. In Jesus' words, we would not be worthy of being his If those around us start to turn against us, as painful as that would be, we need to stay focused on God. He is our priority, even over and above our own family. And the beautiful part of this is that, just like what I heard at that wedding, our capacity for love will be far greater and far deeper with God than without. In The Truth Project, Del Tackett talks about gazing upon the face of God He digs through scripture and talks about examples that God provides us so that we can learn from not just the words, but the models and blueprints that he lays out for us. And so as we gaze upon the face of God this morning with these scriptures, God's showing us that we need to pay attention to our priorities. The cost for not prioritizing the right things is steep. And on the other hand, the reward for keeping our priorities straight is great. Still in in chapter 10 of Matthew, but backing up a few verses to 32, Jesus says, Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. The other side of this, the cost, is in verse 33. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Jesus laid out our priority and told us in advance what the cost would be if we don't stick to it. We may be turned away by people closest to us, but we can't afford to be turned away by Jesus and denied before our Heavenly Father. A priority, again, something that is more important than other things and needs to be done or dealt with first. Pastor Gary has us in a sermon series titled First Things First. I love this because I'm a huge fan of Stephen Covey. And I don't know if Pastor Gary is or not, and I don't know if this sermon series came from Covey's thoughts, but in his most recognized book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he goes through seven habits. It's an excellent read if you haven't read it, but habit number three is put first things first. Covey talks about priorities and organizing your time. He's got a whole system of categorizing activities into four different quadrants and outlines the importance of focusing on one of the quadrants, which is the most important but not urgent activities. We have no idea when Jesus is coming back. It could be tomorrow. It could be beyond our time here on, on this uh, earth. But one thing is for sure. It doesn't always feel urgent like other things in life do. And I think this is the trap that Covey warns about in his book. If we ignore the things that are important but not urgent things are going to be even more difficult in the long haul. But when we keep chipping away at those important, non-urgent things, by actually putting the first things, the priorities, first in our lives, we'll see a huge positive difference. And that's just an earthly perspective, let alone the eternal perspective. If we really put Jesus first in our lives, we'll receive words that, we that are hard for us to even fathom, He will acknowledge us before our Heavenly Father. I want to finish by building even more on something Pastor Gary talked about last week. He shared uh, some scripture from the book of Revelation in chapter 3, verse 15, where Jesus is speaking. He says, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. This reminded me of some great wisdom from Jim Rohn, and I've shared some of his thoughts before. I've got a video clip here in just a minute that I'll end with. But in one of his talks, he goes through what he calls the diseases of attitude. And in, one, in this clip, he's talking about the disease of mildness. And he actually, indifference. He actually talks about this, I be, he doesn't say it by book, but I believe he's talking about this specific verse in Revelation. Um, it won't be in the video, But he talks about living life not lukewarm, but hot or cold, one way or the other. And I want to share this clip, which which is his version of Paul's conversion. And he just does it in a way that I think drives home better than I can some of this point. So three thoughts uh, for you to think about during the video. First, make sure to get your priorities straight. Jesus is our first priority above all else. Second, if Jesus isn't your priority, great news, you can change your priorities. (laughs) All you have to do is make up your mind and just change it. Roan provides a great example of what that looks like through Paul's conversion. And third and finally, with your priorities now all in line, don't suffer from the disease of mildness. As Roan says, put everything you've got into everything you do. A short disclaimer, this video was recorded in the 80s, which I'm sure you'll be able to tell when you see it. But the content is timeless, so let's have a look.
1: The good Lord needs a leader for the early Christians. Remember the early days of the Christians? Not like today. If you were to stand up in the early days and say, I'm a Christian, cut off your head. Toss you and your wife in jail, let you rot. I mean, those were ugly days. Being a Christian back then was not called socially acceptable. They didn't have 125,000 in the Los Angeles Coliseum to hear Billy Graham on a Sunday afternoon. Not back in those days. Back in those days when the Christians got in the Coliseum, it was a different story, right? (laughs) I mean, the word was, stay out of the Coliseum, (laughs) especially on Sunday. Last Sunday was Lions 33, Christians nothing. See, those were mean, tough, struggle days for the Christians. Now, when the days are mean and tough and struggling, you've got to have some kind of leader. Do you know who the good Lord picked for the leader when the days were mean and ugly? Saul from Tarsus. That's who he picked, Saul. I'll tell you what, I would have picked him. You would have picked him. Anybody would have picked Saul. Saul was one of those incredible guys. Once he got into something, look out. Everybody in the community knew what Saul was in because whatever he joined, he'd flip all the switches, open up all the dials, turn on all the faucets, and go like mad. He was known as all out Saul. I mean, he was something else. Now, at first it wasn't working out well. Saul hated Christians, which makes a poor leader, right? I mean, that won't work. (laughs) Saul got this bug somewhere about the Christians. He got to hating Christians. And he hated them so bad, every time somebody would say Christian, he'd fly into a rage. And I guess he decided one life, or one day, it was his mission in life to get rid of all the Christians. He was Saul anyhow, could do most anything he wanted to. So he got in these letters of authority to go around to the various communities and hunt down the Christians. They said, do whatever you want to with them, Saul. They're unpopular anyhow drag him in the streets whip them stone them torture him, kill them you mentioned the name saul from tarsus to the early christians i'll tell you what they would do they would run hide lock the doors leave town dive underground i've been in the catacombs of rome where they hid he was mean i mean terribly mean but remember the story one day saul's making it for damascus heard about some new christians flies into a rage takes off for damascus And the story said he was angry. There's a little sentence in the story that says, on his way to Damascus, he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter, which meant he felt rather strong about the idea, right? (laughs) That's strong, that's strong. But on this journey, right, according to the story, as Saul was making his way to Damascus, the good Lord looks down out of heaven and says, there's my man, Saul, he's got to be something else. And according to the story, this great light shines out of heaven, knocks him flat, right off his horse, grinds his face in the dirt and blinds him for three days. The good Lord using recruiting tools we can't use, but (laughs) 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 when you're Lord, right? (laughs) To make a long story short, Saul from Tarsus becomes converted to Christianity. He becomes Paul the great leader, the apostle. And without a doubt, the good Lord got him a dandy. One he didn't have to pump up every month. (laughs) In one of his later writings, he said, the things I once hated, I now love. The things I once loved, I now hate. See, that's strong. Here's the key to the good life. Learn to put everything you've got into everything you do. Whatever you are doing, pour it on. It will quickly open up into opportunity or quickly disclose to you that you ought to be doing something else.
0: Please rise as we confess our faith together in the words of the Apostles' Creed.